0: everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode.
1: I actually have never said this publicly, but I burnt out. And I ended up having a grand mal seizure in an airport and like just woke up on the floor of the airport with all of these people around me. And long story short, that pretty much ended my surfing career because I won the Eastern championship and the national championship in 2004. So that summer I won everything. And then by October, I couldn't even surf anymore. And so that completely changed everything for me.
0: This is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed.
1: And now, here's your
0: host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody. It's Matt Bowles here, and our guest today is Kristen Wilson. She is a location-independent business owner and a full-time digital nomad who has lived in over 50 countries. She knew she was an entrepreneur from an early age when she won the fifth grade spelling bee, but proceeded to fail all of her career inventory tests throughout middle school. So she decided to chart her own course, make money from lemonade stands and pursue her passion of surfing. By age 21, she had completed her MBA and won the National Surfing Championship in the NSSA College Division. She then went into real estate, moved to Costa Rica, and proceeded to sell tens of millions of dollars of real estate in Central America over the next six years and was featured on House Hunters International. In 2011, she founded PokerRefugees.com, and she has internationally relocated over a 1,000 online poker players, sports bettors, and others to 25 countries. She's been featured on ESPN, Bloomberg, The New York Times, and many other media outlets. Kristen runs her business remotely as she travels the world, documenting her adventures and travel tips on her popular video blog, Traveling with Kristen. And she also runs the rapidly growing Facebook group, Long-Term Digital Nomad Success. Kristen, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Matt.
0: So you and I met fairly recently. It was over the last month and we met on a boat in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea.
1: That's correct. I think it was actually almost the last day, sadly.
0: It was. And it was unfortunate because uh, we were both, we started talking to each other and then we ended up and it was like two or three in the morning and we're still talking to each other. (laughs) And we're like, how is it possible that we literally didn't meet each other until the last day?
1: Yeah, I was at dinner and a mutual friend uh, was referring to, I think, your presentation or workshop or one of your meetups. And I was like, oh, who is that? I missed that because of course, the cruise was so action-packed that you couldn't go to everything. So, you know, you could probably only go to a small amount of it. And I hadn't even heard your name yet somehow. And so she introduced us. And then from there, we all just talked from dinner into the early morning hours. And I'm really glad that we got to connect at the
0: end. Yeah, me too. And it was like, and but then by the time the end of the conversation, we we're like, how is it possible that we haven't been like having these conversations like every day on this boat? And I said, but I definitely want to make sure that I get you on the podcast because uh, that one conversation, I was just super impressed with, with so much stuff about you. So let's just start with this. I mean, maybe um, tell us a little bit about your lifestyle, what it looks like, sort of you know maybe the last year or so what your trajectory has been just so people can get an understanding of what your lifestyle actually looks like
1: Sure so i started my love for travel came at a very young age as far back as i can remember probably elementary school so i had already been traveling a lot as much as i could from the time i was around 18 you know and i could do whatever i wanted at that point technically speaking so i I would studied abroad in college and ended up taking a job in Costa Rica in 2005 and just basically stayed there. And that was the traditional model of being an expat or an expatriate, somebody who lives in um, another country. And it wasn't until I started my company, Poker Refugees, once I got a year or so into that. That I realized, of course, at that point, the technology had changed significantly between 2005 and 2011. So, in 2012, I realized that I didn't really need to stay in the same place. Like, I had been living in Costa Rica or Nicaragua for years. And I really missed traveling. I would only go places a couple times a year. So, I decided to start traveling full time in January, 2013. And I really haven't stopped (laughs) since then. Um, it's very comfortable for me to live in pretty much any country and work from anywhere. Uh, it just kind of feels like second nature. And there's been a little bit of an ebb and a flow where I've, um, gone back to the U S and set up a bit of a home base. Um, but I have been completely location independent again for about the past year. So for a couple years there, I would say 2015, 2016, I would stay in the U.S. about 50% of the time and then travel for 50% of the time. And um, I was just traveling so much that it didn't really make sense to keep a home base. So um, for the past year, I've been mostly in Europe, um just basically spending anywhere from a week to a month in each destination. And currently I'm based in Bulgaria.
0: And what, what types of places though have you been over the last year and what types of things have you done and experienced? Because you one of the things that I, I've been very impressed with about you as you started to tell me sort of your itinerary trajectory is how you really architect uh, an epic you know, lifestyle, right? I mean, you, you focus on lifestyle design and you do it at a particularly high level. So if you're comfortable sharing kind of some of the highlights of the things you experienced over the last year or so, I I think that would be amazing.
1: Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that I love about this lifestyle is just that, that you can basically design it how you see fit. And I really cherish being able to spend a lot of quality time with friends and family because of this lifestyle. So I end up um, having the opportunity to go on a lot of really fun trips, but working at the same time. So at this point, so many of my friends and of course my family members, they know my lifestyle. They know how much I travel. So every time somebody gets a week vacation or a two-week vacation or something is happening in the family, they invite me to go. So just in the past year, uh, like a friend invited me on um, a business trip to the Philippines. So we traveled through the Philippines and Thailand, and then she went back to work and I continued on staying in Thailand longer longer went to Bali, then went to visit a friend in Australia and just kind of would bounce around because the more years that you're in this lifestyle, the more friends you end up having everywhere in the world. So even though if you're traveling by yourself, you're never really alone because you end up having connections, acquaintances, or even really good friends in almost every country that you go to or every city that you go to. Uh, So some of the other trips that I went on in the past year, it, it, I think maybe the pace was a bit faster than, than it should have been because I was kind of at the end of the year, I was kind of exhausted. Um, but let's see. I went to Iceland three times for different reasons, like for weddings, uh, to go with a friend, just different opportunities kept coming up. Uh, I went to St. Lucia with a friend who has a timeshare there and we got about 30 people together to rent out this big villa in St. Lucia and sailing around and things like that. Um, I went to I spent my birthday in Italy, which is someplace that I hadn't been for 17 years. So the very first time I went out of the country was to Italy when I graduated from high school. And then I ended up back there 50 countries later. So that was really fun. I went with a friend to Positano and all along the Amalfi Coast and, of course, Rome. Let's see, what else did I do? Went to um, some friends and I rented uh, sailboats, catamarans, and sailed around Croatia for a week. Um, I would also balance these social trips with trips by myself. So I think that's a really important, which maybe we can talk about later, is how to sustain this kind of lifestyle long term. So it's not like every trip is necessarily back to back, although some of them are, like from – Italy, I went to Croatia, and then from there on a road trip through the Balkans, and then from there to Serbia also with friends. So sometimes they can be strung together. Um, but also you have to know yourself and know when you know when can you have that ebb and flow. So to kind of reconnect in between trips, I would go places by myself, and it would be somewhere like Estonia, where I went on my own solo road trip into the forests and, uh, stayed in Tallinn and just had a really relaxing, quiet time in nature. I spent about a month in Krakow and throughout Poland. And then when you're ready for some fun again, you, well, it's still fun either way. But, uh, then I went to Oktoberfest, for example, in Munich and got to experience that. And even though I went by myself there were so many people I knew there from different countries around the world. So I got to connect with different people on different days. And that was really great as well. And then I ended the year in Costa Rica in a large like luxury vacation home filled with my poker clients. So a lot of my Um, poker playing clients are also pretty big on sites like YouTube and Twitch, which is the live streaming platform for online gamers. And so sometimes when I put together houses with groups of my clients, they'll actually invite me to come and hang out or stay there as well um, because we live very parallel lives and similar lifestyles. So I spent the last like six weeks of of last year in Costa Rica with eight of my clients who were all were all working online, were um, sharing expenses, sharing a maid, sharing a private chef, um, taking, I, I taught them surf lessons, um, we shot a house tour, so we would be doing videos, live streaming, all sorts of things, so that's a really fun way to balance, um, like, different aspects of work and fun and collaboration together. And then this year has been keeping up with the pace. Um, started off in Las Vegas, because why not? My sister lives there, actually. And then went to Japan for the ski week, went snowboarding in a town called Niseko, which is the uh, on the northern island of Japan and actually has the highest annual snowfall in the world. Really love Japan, but also... Uh, broke my thumb (laughs) snowboarding so I ended up staying in Japan for about two and a half months and then I flew from Japan to Spain to meet up with people um, for the nomad cruise and then after that continued traveling with everybody throughout Greece and then from Athens flew to Bulgaria and I have a lot of course still planned um, for the rest of the year because opportunities are always coming up. And there's so many digital nomad events, conferences, co-living situations, uh, co-workations, if you will. So it's going to be a really exciting year. And I'm looking forward to, uh, of course, always the next destination and the next nomad cruise as well. So that is a kind of a summary of the last year.
0: And and right now you are, I am in Valencia, Spain, and you are in Bulgaria. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So I'm just I'm just sort of positioning our uh, our, ourselves here for the listeners, and I'm excited for the year too. And hopefully uh, our paths will cross again uh, as it did last month. I'm sure we will uh, see each other at some point uh, for the rest of the year. But let's maybe actually let's take this opportunity since you just kind of gave that overview uh, for talking a little bit about the because I want to get into the entrepreneurship the entrepreneurship stuff with you as well. But maybe just after that we could. Uh, you know, right now we could talk a little bit about the sustainability stuff because I know your presentation on the Nomad Cruise was about how to sustain this lifestyle long term. And I think that's a really, really important topic for folks, even for folks that are newer or just getting into the scene, uh, you know, or the lifestyle or they're considering the lifestyle. One of the things that I think people's mind initially goes to is well what's the long term you know prospect for this kind of thing and then people that are already into it you know come up with come across different sorts of, of challenges um or or in different ways and so i think the way that you've put together some of your concepts for sustaining this kind of lifestyle that you just described are really, really important. So maybe we should just go into that right now. Can you start talking about what some of those sustainability pillars are for long-term nomad life?
1: Sure. So this is definitely, as you mentioned, this is something that is really important for people who are already in the lifestyle and who are just starting and who haven't started yet because it gives them, kind of an idea of what they can expect and I know that it's relevant for people who've been at it for five or ten years because I've been living abroad for over 13 years and I know that my uh, friends and peers and other people who I've been around for the same amount of time are all still struggling with the same things so when I did my when I was preparing for my workshop I was thinking, you know, really far back into kind of the nature of humans and humanity and our genetics themselves, because no matter how fast technology changes or how modern we think we are in our lifestyle now, we still aren't that far removed from human history in general. I mean, it's only been a few decades, really, that all of this innovation has been happening at such a fast rate. So there's just right now, not only for digital nomads, but for just people on the planet in general, there's a pretty big disconnect between what we need to be um, healthy and happy and kind of our modern day reality. So, and of course, that's because of technology. So technology makes our lives better, but also causes some challenges that need to be addressed. So um, things like um, being inactive from sitting at the computer all day and having um, people are struggling with a lot of mental health issues, anxiety, depression, and just burnout because we're using our brains for our work instead of our physical bodies, which is what has been like for such a long time. Um, So I was going back and looking at that disconnect and then how it's expanded when you get to the digital nomad realm, because not only do we have to deal with the same things that everybody else is dealing with, um, who's alive right now, but it's also magnified because we are in the beginning of the adoption, you know, we're early adopters of this, this cycle, and there's not a lot of Support. There's not um, very many companies or products or solutions for the specific problems that we have. So we are making it up as we go along. We're defining success for ourselves. We're creating solutions for our own issues on the way. And um, there's just not really an infrastructure built for people in this lifestyle. So I think that that is a really important Point before even getting into like, the reasons why um, people fail and then, of course, how they can succeed because we can't look at that until we see what the, what the challenges and the problems are. So the first thing is just to really give ourselves a break because we are the first ones to be figuring this out uh, kind of on our own terms. And then the, the things that will help us in the future, that's all kind of catching up uh, to where we are now. So the main, the main factors that I identified of, of where things go wrong. And sometimes this happens before it even starts is there's basically four things. So a lack of money, um, there's cultural inflexibility as I call it. So just, um, a problem adapting with, with new cultures, There's the loneliness factor, which, of course, is something that people also struggle with in in their life before becoming digital nomads. And then there's a lack of clarity. So for lack of funds, for example, you've seen probably on the Internet or you've maybe heard people talking about how they, you know, just said, F it. And I don't know if we can cuss on your podcast, but they just bought a one way ticket somewhere. Quit their jobs. You know, you've heard of that kind of story, right?
0: Yeah, of course. And yes, Kristen, you're more than welcome to cuss on my podcast.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they're like, fuck it. I am leaving my this job. I hate it. I'm going to take a one way ticket to Bali or Thailand and I'm going to figure it out. And that's like, so many people do that. And that's the first step in on your way to failure in in sustainability in this lifestyle. So running out of money, um, cultural inflexibility, people who um, kind of live in a bubble and never really get integrated with the community for whatever reason, it could even be that they're not spending enough time in each of the places that they're going to. They're just going through their bucket list, checking things off and partying with other digital nomads or backpackers or things like that. And they don't even realize for months and sometimes years that they never really connected with the places that they were because they were going too fast. Um, And then loneliness, Um, I, I think loneliness is like a mindset and you can feel lonely even if you have a family and a partner and everything looks good on paper. You can still feel lonely, but this is exacerbated when you're traveling around the world by yourself. With the lack of clarity, it's really tied in with the lack of funds. Um, When you have people who want to become digital nomads, but they think they know in their brain why they wanna do it, but they don't actually have a connection between travel and what um, one of my favorite authors, Cal Newport, calls a unifying career mission, for example. So um, they don't have their why <laughs> very clear as to like why they're doing this. And sometimes I think people subconsciously think that they're going, everything's going to be better when they travel. They're running away from problems, and they're going to get a new perspective, and it's going to be better once. X, Y, and Z happen. And that typically traveling causes or creates the opportunity or the space for more problems to come into play. So that's a whole nother story in itself. But, um, so there's just a lack of clarity on why they're doing it also where they're going, how they're going to fund it, how long they're going to fund it. And so what ends up happening is after a certain amount of time goes by and it's different for everybody. They just start to realize that maybe they haven't um, formed deep connections, and maybe they didn't even expect to, but they didn't know that that was missing until after the fact, and they're struggling with paying their bills, so they're stuck in a certain number of destinations that they can afford. Um, they don't know where they're going next, and people just end up being really ungrounded, and they start kind of questioning why they're doing this. And this is where you see on YouTube and on social media now, because it's been a few years that that this lifestyle has been more mainstream. You start seeing headlines like um, being a digital nomad is a scam or it's not sustainable or, you know, all sorts of other negative um, headlines and things like that. And I think that's because, of the, the reasons that I mentioned. Um, so, people don't really know why they're there or where they're going. And it's this kind of either quarter life crisis or midlife crisis that starts showing back up in the digital nomad uh, lifestyle itself. Um, so, those are some of the ways that things can go wrong. Um, but then it's also, of course, important to talk about like the sustainable part. And so to kind of counteract those things, um, I think identifying why you're doing that is super important. And that's in your business and also in your life. And especially if you're ready to take your life outside of your old life. So outside of your comfort zone, outside of your hometown, outside of your support circle of friends and family, and you know kind of go out into the world by yourself. So besides establishing why you're doing it and then creating a logistical plan to back it up and be successful long term, you also have to have a job. <laughs> you have to have proven income streams. And if you don't have your own business or an employer that lets you re- work remotely, then you need to have a lot of diversified revenue streams so that you can support yourself if you lose some of them. And this is another thing that people do is they go somewhere and then they think they're going to figure it out once they get there, but they don't take into consideration how much work it's going to be. Um, and one of the things that the, actually the main thing that all of my clients have had in common, whether they were poker players or corporate executives, or digital nomads, or any other type of employee or retiree is they all had jobs, or they all had uh, reliable revenue sources that they knew exactly how much money they were going to be making every month. So that's something that especially the younger digital nomads don't necessarily have. Um, And then Another thing that came up because I actually talked to and interviewed a lot of my friends and clients about um, who had been abroad for 5, 10, 15 years about what they felt like made them the most successful and helped them to keep going for so many years and being open minded and laid back and kind of rolling with the punches was one of the main things And I think that counteracts the kind of cultural inflexibility. So when you are living in a foreign country to just be able to um, be more flexible and more patient with the way things work and more accepting of the differences, especially if you're establishing a business, opening a bank account, uh, working with local people, things like that. Um, And then another huge thing was um, finding your own community or tribe or support system, which really counteracts that point I talked about um, for loneliness. So, so many of the people, uh, everybody, missed their friends, missed their families, and the way that they were able to um, keep going and keep traveling without just being really homesick forever is to either create their own family or find a like-minded community and create a support system wherever they go. And that can be done in a few different ways. And I think the most common ways are to slow travel so that you're spending three months, six months, one year, two years or more in any given destination so that you can really meet people. Um, And then also digitally, there's so many groups now, communities, um, retreats, conferences, and ways to meet other digital nomads. So if you're not going to meet regular people in the place that you're living, you now have the opportunity to meet other transient people so that you can kind of create a global network of friends and never really feel like you're alone and not supported. So, of course, my workshop was uh, like 90 minutes long. So that's a really small summary of, of you know, kind of the, the problems and the solutions. But the main uh, formula for success is to just have a really clear defining mission for why you're um, going to go location independent, having a good plan having reliable funding, having, um, a good self-awareness and giving yourself space to reflect on what you're doing and why again, checking in with yourself, um, having a, a flexible, positive mindset, having a community. And then of course, also putting in the work. So you have to work a lot unless you have you know, some independent income streams that you don't need to maintain in some way. But um, a lot of people don't work enough. So that would be the other tip. And I think if you have those like six things covered and you revisit them on a regular basis, then you can just continue as long as you want. And also keeping in mind that you don't have to do it forever. You can always go back home or wherever home is. You can always choose to make a place your home and stay there. Um, you don't have to be perpetually traveling as a digital nomad. You can do it while you're enjoying it. But if you're following this sort of success map and you are recognizing warning signs for when you're not happy and when things aren't working, you can say, hey, let me take a break. Let me reconsider my lifestyle, and maybe it's time to, um, change it up a little bit for a while because you can always go back home and you could always decide to start traveling again. So it's just kind of knowing yourself and knowing your limits and, um, recognizing when things change, proactively trying to resolve any problems and, um, just basically repeating that throughout. And there's no, like you were saying, there's no one end game for everybody. Um, this lifestyle is evolving all the time. So there's really nothing that there's not one outcome that you have to achieve at the end. It's one of those, like the journey is the destination things. <laughs> so it's just as long as you're enjoying the journey and just keep doing it. And you know, understand what you can change and what you can't. And I think you can definitely find an equal or superior level of happiness than you can in like the regular kind of more a constricted lifestyle that we are brought up to believe that we have to have. So it's just being able to have the choices and the freedom that we have, and then also appreciate it and keep it in perspective so that that freedom doesn't become a trap in the lifestyle itself. If that makes
0: sense. Definitely. I think those are really important tips. And I, you know, in my own sort of digital nomad journey, and as you know, I have been full-time location independent outside the United States since 2013 as well. Uh, I've lived in over 45 countries just in the last five years. And, you know, I discovered some of those different points that you made kind of as I went along. Right. And I didn't start my journey by saying, okay, today I'm going to be a digital nomad and ready, set, go. Exactly. It sort of evolved. Like I had, I had a vision for the concept of location independence from the beginning, because I read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss in 2007 when it came out. And that was at a, transitionary moment for me in my life when I had just been fired from my job, I had decided I was going to start a business and figure that out and go the entrepreneurial route. And I read the book and I was like, okay, I'm building a business with location independent infrastructure. And that's what I'm going to do. And I worked really hard to do that. um, But I didn't utilize the location independence for you know, long term international itinerant stuff. I was basically based in Los Angeles because I liked Los Angeles and I was in a relationship with someone in Los Angeles and that was a cool city. I didn't have any business purpose there per se because I built the location independent business Um, and so I wasn't leveraging the location independence to do the international stuff but I was I was seeing the value in that freedom of mobility I could just go home for the holidays and spend a month you know with my parents if I want they didn't have any geographic restrictions on me and so but to your point about the building up the, the stream of income first right I definitely had done that I had built that up and I had a functioning you know location dependent business and then it was it was just, you know, my relationship partner at the time needed to leave the country to do some, she was doing a PhD at UCLA at the time, which she needed to go do her dissertation research in Egypt. So she's like, I need to go to Cairo for the year. I was like, cool, let's roll. And so we just went to Egypt for the year. And then after that, you know, and, but we were just at the time, we put all our stuff in storage, got rid of all our stuff. And I was just thinking, oh, maybe like we'll come back after the year to LA. So it'd be just like a year away. But then we were like, you know, the next year she just had to like write her dissertation and she had a year to do that. We're like, well, we don't really need to go back to LA for you to do that. Why don't we just pick like our top five places in the world that we love to live and rent Airbnbs for two months at a time, you know? And we're like, cool. So then we went and did that. And all of a sudden then we're in Rio de Janeiro and Cape town, South Africa and all these like super cool places. Right. And so it just sort of evolved in this way where it wasn't like, okay, now we're going to be digital nomads. You know, it was like kind of based on some of her stuff and then we're incorporating the lifestyle design. And then eventually, you know, she and I uh, broke up, and and I decided that I wanted to continue traveling. But um, I had the main uh, the main challenge that I saw before me at that time was what you were talking about with the social isolation and the loneliness, right? Because even though I was traveling the world with one other person, we were itiner we were moving around, and we we're not effectively and meaningfully plugging into like broader social communities in those areas. And to be honest, I wasn't even aware that those social communities may have existed you know we're like how to even begin doing that and so then in 2016 after we broke up i joined a program called remote year which is one of now many businesses that are coming into this space to cater to these types of needs and these types of voids and these types of challenges right and so this was a program where you sign up for a full year And it's, you know, you go and travel the world with somewhere between 30 and 60 people who all have remote jobs of some kind They could be employees that work remotely, they could be business owners, they could be freelancers or whatever else, but they can, they have a location independent income stream. And the company remote year takes you, um, takes the entire group, you travel together for the whole year with the same people and you live in a different city each month for 12 months and they take care of all the accommodations and the co-working space and 24/7 access to Wi-Fi which they uh you know have technicians to make sure it's working and everything and they take care of all your international airfare so they take all that logistical stuff um and handle that for you but even more importantly the most important thing to me the value that I got out of that experience the most was the community because I was with the same people for one year and we saw the world together we explored the world together they were all Interesting people passionate about travel had been able to somehow create a location independent lifestyle for themselves. And that was just a really amazing experience. So when I when I had that, I realized like, wow, like there are ways to really solve for any of these problems that you might feel. And there's companies that are increasingly now, there's a number of companies in the space that are creating really cool, interesting opportunities for digital nomads to solve for these problems. And so when people are, are thinking about, you know, this lifestyle, should I get into it? Can I sustain it? Is it long term? I think you know, just having kind of a, a vision of what that ecosystem currently looks like, right? With programs like Remote Year, I've also done uh, you know some uh, uh, travel with other programs too. It's a program called Hacker Paradise that I was in Vietnam with for a month earlier this year. I'm going to go back and I'm going to go to Japan and Korea with them later this year. Um, is another example of another program. And then, you know, but the other thing is I went to Chiang Mai for, for seven weeks and I plugged into the community that's there. And that's an amazingly well-organized social community that you can just show up and walk in and be included in that. But, you know, in my early part of my journey, I had no idea that any of that stuff existed, you know?
1: Yeah, it's actually, oh, there's so much to unpack there because I first heard about Remote Year in 2015, I think when they were doing their first one and I thought this is going to solve so many problems because it solves the problem of just having to plan your own travel, which is so time consuming and definitely not the best use of almost anyone's time. And I plan travel for a living for other people. So when I'm planning it for myself, it's just basically taking away from my income. So it's so great to just show up somewhere, whether it's one year or one month, and like a fi tribe or one of the, the places similar to remote year, as you mentioned, there's a lot of companies now because they handle, basically you get an instant group of friends. You don't have to worry about internet and you don't have to worry about where you're going to live. And it's typically more affordable than it would be if you were kind of doing short-term travel by yourself. I mean, remote year, not as much, but um, so I usually end up spending more money if I'm just hotel hopping and Airbnb hopping, rather than if I'm staying at one co-living place at a at a time. And I didn't do remote year because I wasn't ready to commit to the whole year because I had other things going on and I had already been in the lifestyle for a while. But I have now stayed at Rome co-living and. Japan and I'm planning on, I've joined the Wi-Fi tribe. So I'm planning on doing a couple of those chapters. I've looked at hacker paradise and some of the other ones. So I think that's a really exciting thing on the horizon. Well, it's here now, but it's just going to grow because I remember seeing in back in the old days when nomad, it wasn't even nomad list yet. It was like the nomad list Slack forum from maybe like 2013 or something like that. Yeah. And I remember somebody posted in there, how do we solve housing for digital nomads? Because there are so many problems with with that because you basically only in the world have a market of houses or properties for sale for long-term rent, uh, sublets, or vacation rentals. And digital nomads don't really fit into any of those categories. We're more looking for like midterm affordable rent. And, you know, we're not going places for a week vacation paying a premium, but we don't necessarily want to sign a one-year lease. So it's really cool to see how this uh, co-living, co-working dynamic has solved the housing problem in a lot of ways, but also solved the related problems with the lifestyle, with like loneliness, and things like that. And if we get a critical mass, which is definitely happening, I think in the next couple years, I mean, if there's millions, hundreds of millions of people living a location independent lifestyle, whether they're in their home base or traveling around, I think we can have that like global network and that global community that doesn't necessarily have roots in any one place, but it will just, it will just be such a big community that it won't be any different from being a citizen of a country or a resident in a specific town because it will just be so well connected and so big. Don't you agree?
0: Totally agreed. And, you know, the, you, the more you travel around and the more of those types of programs and experiences that you have and the... It, you know, the events that you participate in and things like that. It's, uh, it it really is amazing, right? Like that nomad cruise that we just went on, right? There was 250 digital nomads. I think the next one, they're going to try for a lot more than that. And you just show up and it's like, Everybody wants to meet you. They want to get to know you. They want to hang out with you, whether it's have fun with you and and laugh and and go dancing and do stuff or whether it's like talk about business ideas and like are are interested in what you're doing and can help you with stuff or or whatever it may be. But you have people that want to like engage with you, get to know you on a meaningful level and then go explore cool places with you. And that is also what I am experiencing when I go and, you know, plug into these different uh, places that I go. So now the way I'm structuring my lifestyle is, you know, I'm going to go to this city here and this city there and this city there, but I'm kind of doing it mostly um, unless, you know, I do some of the stuff where it's like a few friends, like we'll go and like do this cool stuff. I'm going to go through the wine country in France and, you know, do some cool stuff like that. But, but for the most part, when I'm doing longer term stuff, I'm doing it as part of these live work communities. So I know that as soon as I land in a city that I've never been to, I'm immediately going to have a group of people that's going to want to, they know I'm coming. They want to meet me. They want to hang out with me. They want to explore the city with me. Um, and you just have solved for that social Isolation problem. I mean, it's amazing.
1: Yeah, and another thing for your listeners who haven't experienced this type of lifestyle yet, um, or even digital nomads who are still on their own and haven't kind of dipped their toe into this co living, is it's so inclusive, like you were saying. And I don't know if even in the community we've really like dove into or dove into this topic so much because. If you think of when you were living in LA or when you're living in your hometown, you do get in a routine and you do end up with a kind of a fixed social circle and you have to make a real effort to meet new people. Like if you're living in America, who do you hang out with? It's like your friends from maybe from school, from college, your coworkers, um, people you meet maybe at the gym, or if you're a parent, maybe... With um, other parents, you have kids the same age, but it's a little bit limited and people aren't necessarily in the disposition and the mindset to just talk to strangers, like to strike up a conversation with people and then dive so deep, so fast. Like you go into a Starbucks, no one's talking to each other. And um, even when I go back to the States, I kind of get back into that routine and have like my handful of friends or I see them at yoga class or whatever, but uh, my friend group only expands if, you know, you really like make an effort to maybe meet mutual friends of other friends or go to meet up groups and things like that. And it does tend to stay pretty surface level, like, oh, so, so, You know, what do you do for work? Because that's the first question everyone always asks. And it just kind of stays in that zone. Whereas in this co living digital nomad location independent community, it's unprecedented, I think, to have a community of complete strangers that just right off the bat have. Uh, understanding they don't care how old you are. They don't care what you look like. They don't care how much money you have. They don't care what your job is. They like don't care what color your skin is. Like they literally don't care. And can you think of another place or another situation in life where that happens?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. It's been really amazing for me to experience that. And it's been really exciting to see the growth in that digital nomad ecosystem and just the places you can go around the world and plug into those communities and how interconnected things are today. Uh, But I want to also... Kristen sort of transition now a little bit and talk about your entrepreneurial journey because the first and the first thing maybe where we could start as you sort of tell your story that stood out to me because I related to it from my own entrepreneurial journey is that there are multiple points in your trajectory and your path where you had to pivot or change course, either because something happened and befell you and sort of blocked the path that you were on and you needed to, or because an opportunity arose uh, and you saw a different way to go about doing something and you seized upon that opportunity. And I think that one of the most important lessons for entrepreneurs uh, or for people that want to get into that game or change something in their life I feel like there's a lot of times a lot of inertia where they feel like they have to stay on the same path that they're on and you know one of the things that certainly happened in my life is that I've had to just you know when something befalls you or your stops your path you just have to figure out a way to pivot and to go a different direction or to see an opportunity and to take it so I think you really embody that spirit pretty well and I would love for you to just maybe talk a little bit about your journey um, and maybe start us back in your sort of college or even pre-college period and maybe start talking about your passion for surfing uh, and talk a little bit about that. And then you could kind of go from there and where that led you on your journey.
1: Yeah. So if I go back to, so I started surfing in high school and I didn't know how much I would love it. And it kind of became my life. And if anyone surfs, you know what I mean? It's like not just a sport or an activity that you do, but it kind of becomes your identity. And like there's this whole subculture around surfing. So I got really serious about that and started competing and everything. But at the same time, I was always really good at school and always got good grades. So I was very dedicated to my coursework in college and getting straight A's and things like that. But the one thing that I could never shake throughout that time was the anxiety and angst around choosing a major because I feel like in the U.S., at least at that time and probably still today, there's this finality to picking a major. And I didn't know at you know, 16, 17, 18, what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I think it's funny now that I'm in my mid thirties and I still hear people, my dad's age and older, who are talking about what are they going to do when they grow up? So I think that's something that everyone can relate to. But for a teenager, you don't know that yet. You just know that soon you're going to graduate and then you have to either get a job or go to college. And, pretty much as soon as you get to college you need to have an idea of the type of track that you want to go with. So, in college I changed my major so many times that by the time I graduated, I had enough credits for two separate college degrees. So I started college in I think 11th grade doing dual enrollment classes. Had about a year of college done before I even got to um, where I studied, which was UCF, Central Florida in Orlando. And uh, so, yeah, I ended up with enough credits for two college degrees and only one major and no minors. So that can just kind of set the st- the stage for All the different directions that I was going in, that was kind of going to be foreshadowing the different directions that my career would go in, right?
0: Yeah, I totally relate to that, by the way, because in college, I was just taking all of these different electives that I was interested in, and then they were like, you have to pick a major. I was like, but I don't want to. I just want to keep picking interesting classes and taking them all.
1: Yeah, I wish that there there should be some other major that... That would work. I guess there's liberal arts or liberal studies, but that just seems like the major for people who can't decide. (laughs) But, you know, also at this point, whatever major you choose, you don't even really need to work in that specific industry. And today, like to put things in context, back then, you know, I didn't have a laptop. I didn't have a laptop until grad school. So it's a lot different for. The kids that are in school today because they can even start their side hustle during high school or college with the internet, but we didn't necessarily have that option. So um, I, even when I graduated, I finally majored in international business and studied abroad a couple times and really got a feel for what it was like to live abroad and fell in love with just the whole concept of it. So I've been living in foreign countries since age 20. So it's been about, you know, almost, uh, almost like 15 years total, I think. So, um, but I still didn't know what I wanted to do for work. Like I knew I loved traveling, um, you know, graduated with honors, whatever. So instead of getting a job, I went to grad school. (laughs) So that turned out to be a pretty good option because getting an MBA, even though I did it in a a nine month period. And I think it would have been ideal to go get some work experience, come back and like take my time with it. But I do think that it helped give me the tools to think strategically and differently than an undergraduate degree does. So if anyone's thinking about that, then that was something helpful. But um, again, I kept hitting these walls. So like graduating from college, didn't know what I wanted to do. Then graduating from grad school a year later, still didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, something really kind of life altering, I guess, happened in between um, when I started grad school and I finished grad school, which pretty much changed the whole trajectory uh, for my life as it relates to surfing and my career. So I actually have never said this publicly, but um, I kind of not kind of, I burnt out. It's so, that you know, like that career burnout that people tend to get in their 30s or 40s? Yeah. I got that kind of burnout at 21 in grad school where I was running on uh, such a little fuel. I was burning the candle at both ends, all that good stuff with um, an internship. I was a graduate assistant. I was working part-time going to school over full time and just probably drinking too much coffee. I was sponsored by an energy drink company. So I was drinking like sugar-free equivalent of Red Bull every day. And I ended up having a grand mal seizure in an airport, um, wow. on the Atlanta airport actually on my way to Costa Rica for a charity event. And, like, just woke up on the floor of the airport with all of these people around me. And long story short, actually, I didn't even know what happened. <laughs> they still put me on the plane in a wheelchair. It wasn't until I got back from that weekend that I turned on my cell phone, because that's when we had, like, the Nokia phones or the Razer flip phones. So I powered on my cell phone to, like, Call uh, my brother and tell him what happened. And somebody in the airport recognized me and, like, came up to me, interrupted the phone call I was having with my brother to tell him what happened. And they're like, Oh, you're the girl who has epilepsy. How are you doing? And I was like, Excuse me, what? I thought I just passed out or something. And they're like, No, you, the guy said, He's like, I'm a doctor. I was going to a conference. I came through the airport. And uh, you fell on top of me, basically. And now he was in the airport, in the same terminal, four days later, going on vacation with his wife. And he saw me. So it was like a complete, like, 0% chance that that happened. But that is the only reason why I even knew I had a seizure. And so that completely changed everything for me because it put health in perspective. And it showed... Um, the dangers of what I was preparing for mentally, which were these like 60 to 80 hour weeks in corporate America. Right. So that kind of changed everything because um, after going through testing and everything, they did diagnose me with epilepsy and they took my driver's license away. So I'm 21 in grad school with no driver's license, they told me I couldn't surf wow. for uh, six months. Wow. And it was just the worst. It was the worst time. It was the worst feeling. I felt like I couldn't, I felt completely helpless and that it was so lost and I didn't know what to do. And it wasn't until years later that now I think if that didn't happen, I probably would have continued with the status quo and who knows, like who knows what would have happened? I don't know. So that, that actually I would say that pretty much ended my surfing career. Cause I won those um, I won the Eastern championship and the national championship in 2004. And then I had the seizure um, actually, I think it was the same year. I think it was a few months later. Yeah. So that summer I won everything. And then by October, I, I couldn't even surf anymore. Um, so when I graduated from grad school, I was pretty depressed. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was really depressed with the options that were available to me because I didn't graduate from an Ivy league school. So we didn't have that type of career placement. And just by random chance somebody tracked me down so it was when I was in high school I was a lifeguard and um one of the guys I worked with his older brother had moved to Costa Rica to start some real estate companies and through word of mouth he heard or maybe I didn't even did I have Facebook I I didn't even have Facebook at that time I don't know somehow he found out that I studied abroad in Costa Rica and spoke Spanish and he reached out to me and offered me a job to um, help him open an office for a Coldwell Banker franchise in a little town called Nosara in Costa Rica. And so that is what started uh, my journey living in Costa Rica. And of course I thought that
0: Sometimes two to four unit properties and they're either brand new or fully renovated and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation. If that sounds interesting to you, to learn more about it, you can just go to the slash consult. And now, back to the episode.
1: That I would only do that for, I was still brainwashed. So I thought, I'll just do this for a year and then go back to my real life <laughs> in America.
0: Was that your first uh, sort of experience with real estate? Or like he just offered you that job and then you were like, oh, real estate, never thought about that before, but it sounds like a good plan to go to Costa Rica and learn about real estate?
1: Yeah. And you know, I didn't even really think it was that good of an idea. I wasn't interested in real estate, it had never crossed my mind before. But this proved to be a good lesson as well, because I developed a skill set in something that I didn't necessarily love and I didn't have a passion for, but it helped me set a foundation for the company that I was going to launch seven years later that I didn't know, you know, I hadn't invented it yet or I hadn't had that idea yet. So um, the only reason I took the job was basically because i I knew I loved Costa Rica and I knew I loved traveling, and I had had this this seizure and like physical burnout. and I thought, and my family agreed that I probably needed to calm down <laughs> and maybe go somewhere that wasn't as such a stressful environment. So that was really nice to be able to live there for for a few years and um, live on the beach and go surfing. I, I actually was able to get my license back and and go surfing again and do yoga. I took a lot of side jobs, like teaching surf lessons and working at a bar and restaurant and things like that to get by until the real estate took off. And, um, yeah, so that kind of snowballed through the years and brought me to Nicaragua and then back to Costa Rica. And But during that whole time, like it was like you said, it was like this. Even though from the outside, my life looked perfect. Like I was making six figures. I was living in paradise. I just still didn't love what I was doing. And so I like changed companies. I changed countries. I started working for myself outside of a company, just on my own. And uh, it was kind of a roller coaster. And um, in 2009, I was kind of at my wits end. I was like, I hate this. I don't want to do it anymore, but I like my life, but I don't like my job. And I ended up going to Bali for a month with no money. I was like, I'm just going to figure things out and, and just think about it. And that was one of the best months of my life. And that put things into perspective that you don't need to have a lot of money to experience this like feeling of bliss. And so on one hand, I was broke in Bali Um, kind of searching for meaning. And then I had just come from the real estate industry where people who were 40 years older than me, who had saved money their entire lives and had like millions of dollars in the bank were moving to Costa Rica to replicate the life that I had as like a 22 year old with, you know, no money or, you know, it would come and go. So that also stuck in my mind because I thought all these people are waiting decades and saving all this money to do something that they could do with way less money. <laughs> so it made me realize you don't have to be rich To travel and you don't have to be rich to live abroad.
0: Definitely. And it's usually uh, most of the places in the world, if you're coming from the United States or if you're coming from the United Kingdom or if you're coming from Australia or if you're coming from any of those types of countries, most places in the world are significantly less expensive than the United States, both in terms of accommodations and in terms of food and in terms of pretty much everything. And so you can really architect an amazing international lifestyle where you can even travel around pretty frequently and be pretty itinerant. And even with all of your international airfare included, you can usually do it in a way that is lower than the cost of living in a major city in the United States.
1: Yeah. And that became just normal to me. So people would always say like, Oh, when are you coming back? And how are you doing this? And I was just like, this is my life. Like, I'm, I'm not going back anywhere because my life is wherever I am. It's not like separate. (laughs) It doesn't matter where I am geographically. And that was around the same time the four hour work week came out and which was like 2007, which I completely randomly saw in a Barnes and Noble during like a one week trip to the U S to visit my family. I just saw it in the back corner of a Barnes & Noble on the UCF campus, and I just saw the the cover of it out of the corner of my eye, and I'm like, hmm, oh, that looks interesting, and I picked it up, and I had no idea it would become this like cult classic. <laughs> but I wish at the time of reading that that I took more into consideration um, the principles that uh, Tim Ferriss was talking about because I definitely identified with um, – with everything that he was talking about, but I did not have an automated income. My income was very much me in person, showing properties, making deals happen, getting listings and, you know, just a very physical, um, work that I was very tied to that location. Right. So uh, this is like something that I struggled with for years because Uh, Maybe there is a possibility that I could have thought of some other ideas of what to do, but I was so stuck in the habit of real estate that even after this uh, kind of epiphany moment that I had in Bali, I still ended up coming back to Costa Rica and then taking another job in real estate because it was what I knew It was a comfort zone. So even though I was traveling to all these different countries, living out of my comfort zone, I was still stuck somehow in my comfort zone of my career. Right. So that was like the fourth time I think I reinvented myself within the same industry. And um, for another year or a year and a half, I think it was like another year. And then I decided, okay, I have to actually like make some moves Right. And at that point it had been about 6 7 years. So that's when I decided I'm done.
0: <laughs> yeah, now tell me the story though about cuz you you you've never actually told me this story about how you got on House Hunters International and who the clients were that you were there with and how that whole thing played out. What was that like?
1: Uh, so this was at the time I guess House Hunters is still a pretty popular show and I really loved it because it was basically mimicking kind of my life. So I, it resonated with me a lot because I was watching other people doing the same thing in different countries around the world. And I just thought, why don't, why don't I try to get on the show? And I think they were looking for people. So I sent in a video, which is actually, it's still on Vimeo, which is really embarrassing. (laughs) I think I need to remove it. Um, just auditioning for the show and they, they really liked it. And we actually went through a big casting process where I had to submit the profiles of a lot of different clients um, because they have so many different demographic requirements for the, the buyers, which a lot of people probably don't know. Um, So we knew we were going to do the show. We just didn't know who it would be. And so what they do is uh, a deal that's already happened, they recreate it. So in the end, we didn't even use, they were my, they were real estate clients of my firm, but they weren't my clients. They were my friend's clients, but they were friends of mine. And I actually, they were my clients for rentals, but the house that they bought, they didn't buy through me, but they bought like five properties. So, uh, we recreated that. And then the client was a it was a lord, so of of royal, basically from Denmark. So here we had Danish royalty and his fiance, who was a model from Brazil. So they were just like this beautiful couple, um, also living kind of as digital nomads because he was working in finance and she could model from anywhere. So that was two thousand eleven. Um so still way before people were really talking about digital nomads. Um and that was really fun. It's still it still runs and people will contact me on Facebook and say, Hey, I saw your health centers episode and they asked me to do it a couple more times, but to be honest, they don't really pay you. I think I think I got I don't know, it was not that much, maybe a few hundred dollars and it took a month of planning and then three or four days to film, so Even though it was fun, I I felt like it was a kind of closure for my career in real estate that I could have this like little piece of my history there to just kind of bring everything together. And I really wanted to show an authentic perspective of what it was like to buy real estate in that area Um, because I felt like a lot of the stuff on TV was a little bit fake. So I really wanted to kind of bring all my experience into this 20 minute TV show. So I'm glad I did it.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, you'll have to let me know where I can watch it, because I definitely want to see that episode. And uh, if, there, <laughs> if there happens to be a link or something like that, uh, we can definitely share it in the show notes, because I'm sure that would be amazing. But yeah, that's incredible to leave that. Now you have that kind of historical sort of archival you know, piece that will be there about you and you know your contributions in that period of your life, which is really amazing. Um, so then, so then let's talk about from there, the transition. How did Poker Refugees come about and how did you see the opportunity for it? And, and maybe you could talk a little bit about what it is and the business model that you designed there.
1: So this is, um, I think, an important takeaway for people who might be involved in a lot of different things. They might have a lot of different interests and maybe they're feeling a little bit lost and they're just not sure how or when things are going to come together. So I had made a plan that I was going to uh, exit the real estate industry, move back to the U.S. in July of 2011. So I I decided this, this was my New Year's resolution. It was like, okay, I'm just going to work like another six months or so and then consciously plan a move back to the U.S., change into a different Career Because I just felt like I had been doing the same thing for so long. And so by April, something happened, which is called the Poker Black Friday, which is where the US Department of Justice sh- shut down or seized a lot of the websites of online gaming operators that were based offshore, but offering services to customers in the United States. So this created a really, (laughs) a really big problem for many people, because I think there were millions, like 11 or 15 million U.S. customers on these poker sites, and they got cut off from the sites. And of course, a lot of them were recreational players, but a good amount of them were professionals. And the only reason I knew that this um, kind of economy existed this online poker economy is because a lot of those sites or most of them were based in costa rica for whatever reason maybe taxes or good regulations or whatever so i knew a lot of the people who worked in those companies and i was aware of the dynamic of the online poker players and the companies so kind of overnight these companies Had to stop their operations, and I knew that the mindset of professional poker players and sports players wouldn't be that they're just going to stop making money because they were making tons of money, they were doing a job that they loved, they were working online from home, they had complete freedom, and they were mostly like in their 20s, 30s, just having a blast and loving life. And so, I thought well, they're going to have to leave the U.S. because it could take years, if not decades, if ever, for the U.S. to regulate online poker in a way that they can make a living doing the same thing. So I was already helping retired people and um, expats and executives and multinational employees relocate to Central America. So I thought, why don't I just help poker players? So that's how I came up with the idea for Poker Refugees and Sports Refugees, and it was this really um, perfect marriage of all of my years of my background, so everything started to make sense. The studying abroad at age 20, um, learning Spanish, living in all these different countries, stumbling through and crawling my way up the learning curve of how to live abroad and how to do everything from opening a bank account to setting up your utilities and things like that. And also my business background. So I just combined all of those uh, skills and that expertise into uh, relocation packages that were specifically for this really, really narrow niche market. And that was in 2011, and I'm still doing it <laughs> today. Um, so, yeah, it's been an amazing time a completely life-changing experience. Um, from the day that I launched the company, I think within an hour, I got a phone call to my cell phone from ESPN wanting to interview me, and it just took off from there. And I learned so much about online business and Um, it allowed me to travel remotely and yeah, just completely changed my life. And it's been a lot of work and a long road, but, um, I'm, I'm really glad that I took that risk. Even when nobody else understood my idea, they didn't understand the business model. They didn't think it would be successful for more than three months or six months. And now it's in the seventh year. So, Um, but another takeaway to go back to the real estate is that, um, it has been, it's also become a comfort zone the same way that real estate is because it's my company, it's my idea. Um, I implemented everything. And so, you know, people say that their companies are like their babies. So it's been a personal challenge for me to, um, also try to grow and, learn um, from new facets of the industry or incorporate um, more things as the online business world and online marketing and everything continues to evolve. So over the past year or so, that's also um, what I've been doing just to continue to challenge myself and to create new products and services that can be accessible and beneficial to people outside of the online gaming industry because, of course, that's such a small niche market. And now there's such a greater need um, for people of every industry to be able to travel freely and live and work uh, abroad. And the whole reason I started Poker Refugees was because I felt so compelled to promote the lifestyle in the same way that kind of Tim Ferriss with the four hour work week. I just wanted to help as many people as possible because I knew that they would see the light once they, once they got out. So, and of course so much has happened, like guys who were living in their parents' basement in Kansas now have two kids and are living on the beach in Mexico or something. So it's just like something that was so controversial at the time is now so commonplace. And it's amazing to see because um, more and more people now, like it's going to be millions of people who are, if not already, who are seeing that they can live life on their own terms and be like completely free financially, geographically, and in their career and just kind of create it as they go along. So, you know, you can never see the every step in the road, but you can sometimes see the next step and the next step. And even if you feel like you're just going really slow or stumbling along, sometimes you look back and you see how everything fits together so perfectly that you could have never planned it that way.
0: Right. And at the time, a lot of times it seems like a setback or it seems like a major problem or a challenge or an obstacle. But then when you are able to navigate around it or take a different opportunity or see a different path, all of a sudden there's a lot of transferable skills and experiences and it all builds up and culminates if you just have the the, the confidence to continue to follow the path that's being laid out before you.
1: Yeah. And, and for these guys, this, I mean, this was, people were, saying that they were suicidal. Like this was a massive, massive problem because people were had lost, some of the companies went under and went out of business. And some people had like millions of dollars, like their whole life savings, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, tied up in different sites. And some of them never got the money back depending on which site they had the money on. And some of them got paid back by other companies which merged or acquired some companies and it kind of worked itself out, but it took years and it never completely worked out. And online gaming is still not completely regulated in the U S and it's state by state and there's all these things. So to go from these people who had absolutely no option, they were in such dire straits that the only thing that they could do was leave the country and, And try to start over from zero. So I think that's pretty profound um, that those people had that courage to take a leap, but maybe also they didn't see many other options. So some people went back to school, some people tried to get regular jobs, some people tried to play live poker, and some of them um, moved abroad. So it was really fulfilling to help play a part in turning a a super negative dramatic situation into a positive, um, both symbolically from my life, from how I ended up in Costa Rica to begin with through like helping these 20 something year old, mostly guys who some of them or most of them never even had a passport to go from that to a couple years later, People sending me messages from like South Korea, (laughs) like, Hey, Kristen, just wanted to thank you for everything. Like now I'm in Asia and they just got that courage and deeper self knowledge and um, resilience to be able to start kind of expanding their, their mind and their boundaries and physically going to other parts of the world because they had that confidence.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So can you talk a little bit about the business building aspect of it, sort of maybe a little bit of behind the scenes, sort of the entrepreneurship uh, business building track in terms of how, for example, you scaled your business? How did you build infrastructure for your business? Did you start hiring people, outsourcing things, building some kind of a team around it? What was sort of as the business owner uh, and founder, what was sort of your trajectory in in that way?
1: Yes, the the business was totally new concept. So there was nothing, there was no roadmap. There was nothing that I could follow. The closest thing would have been some sort of corporate relocation company, but I was just a small sole proprietor. So um, I really just created it uh, out of thin air and built it as I went along. So I tried, it, it took me a few months to get everything planned where i felt comfortable launching it and then once i launched it, it we continued to reinvent the wheel a few times until we got the like, policies and procedures down and so as with most things you start out without any <laughs> policies and then as things happen you start uh, creating systems and processes to uh, to try to streamline things and Um, make sure everything's going well. So I did hire about five people in the first couple months. So an assistant, a general manager, um, just a lot of support staff because there was so much uh, communication, property searches, a lot of non-scalable activities. So That's basically what my business is made up of to this day, because when you're moving human beings to different countries, you can't really get many economies of scale. Everything's quite one-on-one and everybody's different. Everyone is from a different country going to a different country with a different budget, with different needs. So we do have a structure for each relocation, but it's extremely customized um, within that. So... Uh, the main way after I hired all those people at the beginning, I realized that I was spending more time managing my staff, <laughs> so than or equal time managing the staff and running the business. So I was getting back to working these like 12 hour plus days, and I knew from my previous experiences that that was not sustainable. Um, so Over the first year or so, I got things more uh, streamlined and systematized that I could just keep a smaller team and have it mostly subcontractors. So right now, everything is pretty much based off of um, 37signals Basecamp platform, which is a project management system. And I don't even have any full-time staff anymore.
0: You use like outsource independent contractors and, and that sort of thing?
1: Yep. So once I, I switched to an outsourcing model from a full-time model, I the number of hours I worked every day went down and my revenue went up, which didn't make sense. Um, but that's what happened. Uh, so now because we move people to so many countries, I'll have translators, drivers, concierge people uh local guides um that I can hire on a contract basis whenever we have somebody going to that destination um because it's really hard to forecast how many people are going to want to go to Costa Rica, who's going to Thailand, who's going to Malta. So, yeah, I can basically run everything from from base camp and high rise a CRM system on my computer.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think the lowering of fixed overhead and, you know, orienting it towards those types of customized uh, projects and independent contractor type relationships, I think can often make a lot of sense for business owners. So I think those are really good lessons. Let me ask you another question as a business owner. Um, The entrepreneurial journey can get pretty stressful and it can get pretty challenging at different times. And I want to just ask you for some of the techniques that you use for things like time management and productivity, as well as things like stress reduction and those types of things. How do you structure your day and how do you deal with high stress situations that occur in the business environment?
1: Yeah, it's so important. And Um, it's something that continues to evolve for me, um, over the years, because I think our energy levels change. And just as we get older, we, we learn more and more about ourselves and our business. So I'm always tweaking my daily routine and my morning routine. And, um, right now I think I have it pretty dialed in. So the the biggest things that have helped me be successful are to make sure that I'm traveling at a sustainable pace and rate, because when you're going really fast, you will just inevitably spend too much time traveling or planning travel or packing and unpacking. And it's just a huge waste of time. So I think people need to be really strategic with how often they're moving around Um, and where they're going, Um, just getting set up and getting settled in. So I try to stay in places for at least a month or so, um, ideally more, or even just to have a home base. And then it's less energy to take a side trip when you don't have to bring everything you own with you. Um, So in a perfect situation, which I pretty much have right now in Bulgaria, because I'm in control of my environment. And I'm living by myself, but around other digital nomads and near a co-working space. So I just try to focus on going to bed early, um, limiting like going out late at night, which can be hard when you're in a really fun city and getting up early and doing the first like spending the first couple hours of my day doing my most important tasks. And it sounds really simple. And I know a lot of people have heard this before, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think people realize like how addicted to like stimuli they are from their phones and their email and things like that. And I started to feel like I was becoming Uh, my days were becoming too controlled by WhatsApp messages and emails and inputs coming in all day long. So I changed everything to where um, I try to wake up between five and 530. And I have a really set morning routine that includes meditation that is sometimes short anywhere from five minutes to 30 minutes. Um, A ritual where it's like, meditate, do some activity, or sometimes I'll just do a quick, uh, like workout in my living room or something like that. Sometimes I'll go for a run like 20 minutes, not too long, because if you do, if you work out in the morning and it takes you, uh, 30 minutes to go to work out and then an hour or whatever, and then coming back and taking a shower, like that can take out two or three hours out of your day already. So I try to keep that workout really short. And then Make some coffee, always with like, you know, bulletproof MCT oil, something like that. And I work on for the next two to three hours the most important things that are going to take the most amount of focus. And that has allowed me to be so much more productive than if I just start out with, you know, putting out fires or opening my inbox or looking at notifications for things. So I won't even, I don't look at social media until like later in the afternoon um, because it's just a downward spiral. Um, but by the time I get that done and then I have lunch and then I work on email and, and things like that, like more shallow work tasks because everybody gets that afternoon dip and that's like my least creative least awake time of day. Um, so in the later hours of the day, I'll do things that are less uh, cognitively challenging. Um, and that's been working for me really well. But the the one thing that has kind of taken things to a new level, which I copied from Benjamin Hardy, who's the, the most read person on Medium, I believe, uh, I took his journaling course. And I used to journal when I was a kid, but I didn't ever do it in my adult career after college because think of how much you're writing in college anyway, and then you're working and you're tired. And the last thing you feel like do like doing is writing. But I took Ben Hardy's journaling course at the beginning of the year. And, um, and now I've been journaling every day and it has allowed me to better track my, uh, progress towards my goals And I've been able to kind of create things and complete them at a faster rate than I was before because I'm constantly reminding myself of what my priorities are. And I'm scheduling things into small tasks during the week and I'm just daily writing about what I did, what I didn't get done, what I want to do, you know, what's still left on the list. And so that's really helped me to get through things a lot faster. So I would say like the, my main tip for people is to just throw your phone on the other side of the room. Like your phone is kind of your enemy. Um, And it's everything is there. You know, you can have a hundred apps on your phone, but if you can just get the first half of your day, get through the first half of your day with your most important stuff, then you can relax and uh, have that like productive feeling at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that is outstanding advice. And I think if a lot of people listen to very productive people speak about their productivity habits, I think they will find a lot of similarity with what you just said. So with that, Kristen, are you ready for some lightning round questions? I'm ready. Let's do it. The
1: lightning round.
0: All right. What is the top book that you would recommend to people? Maybe a book that has influenced you or has impacted you profoundly on your journey. What would be your top book recommendation?
1: Um, let's see. My top book... My favorite book right now that I've already read twice this year is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Yep. Love it.
0: Okay. What is your top app or productivity tool that you're currently using that you would recommend?
1: I have two really, really small ones. One is the Focus page extension on Chrome, because I know everybody opens tons of apps and you can't avoid looking at this blank page asking you what your number one priority is for the day. So it forces you to prioritize. And then also the saving grace that has changed my life and made me happier person is a, a timeline blocker for Facebook. And there's a ton of different ones and it basically deletes your newsfeed. So if you have to go on Facebook for work, which many people do, And messages and things like that in place of a distracting news feed, which you have to try not to look at is a motivational quote or something like that. And it's just, I've had it for about a year and a half now and it saves me so much time.
0: Okay, cool. So what is your favorite podcast that you listen to or blog that you read?
1: I love JLD's Entrepreneur on Fire because I know he's doing different formats now, but that 20 to 30 minute consistent format is really easy to digest. And I always get something of value from that. And my favorite blog is probably Ben Hardy.
0: Okay. What are your top three favorite destinations that you have ever traveled to?
1: Um, Well, one of them, I think you mentioned earlier the wine country in France I have to say that's such a magical place. I did a road trip from Biarritz through Saint-Emilion and Bordeaux, and it's just like pinching myself the whole time. Um, uh, Another one is kind of a rogue destination. In the very southwestern corner of Costa Rica, south of Pavones, the big surf surf spot, there's a little place called Punta Banco, And I don't even know if it's a town, really, but it's just a small area on the border between Costa Rica and Panama. And it's one of the highest concentrations of plant and animal life in the world. And you just feel like you're in kind of like a a little mini sphere of the earth. Like, it's so surreal to be there. It's like blue water and white sand and there's no people around.
0: Wow. Wow. I have not been there, but I will definitely need to put that on my list. That was, that was not even on my radar at all. So that's very cool. It's
1: very idyllic. And you'll see like toucans flying around and things like that. It's nice. And then my third favorite destination, probably for like living. Well, like, I don't know if I'd want to live in the wine country or in Punta Banco, but for highest quality of life, um, I've gone back and forth a few times between Vancouver and Canada and Amsterdam. I think just really, even though the weather is not the best in the world, they just have such a great culture there, open-minded, friendly people. So pleasant, water, nature, technology, infrastructure. It's like everything you need is there, good food.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Those are good picks. I'm definitely also going to hit you up on for recommendations on the French wine country because I'm planning to... Do that next month. So I will uh, hit you up offline for specifics on that. But uh, I love that that's in your top three. I got you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I figured you would. Uh, All right. Next question is: What are your top three bucket list travel destinations that you have not yet been to that are right at the top of your list at this point?
1: Um, So Cape Town, which is kind of trending right now, but it's been on my list for a really long time, and I had a plane ticket there in February and I had to cancel it because of my snowboarding accident. So I'm thinking of going there later this year. And also um, kind of similar with like the Vancouver Amsterdam vibe, I've heard a lot about Copenhagen and it's supposed to be one of the like best qualities of life in the world and just a really nice place to be. I love riding my bicycle around cities. So I've been wanting to go to Denmark for a while and I've been everywhere around it, but I've never been to uh, Denmark. And then um, another place that I've been super close to, but haven't actually been, that's and not very exotic, but from a historical perspective, when I travel as a digital nomad, I really love going to museums and things like that. And I've kind of been so interested in the world war one like front lines region in um in france and belgium so i really want to go there as like a side trip to um to check out all of that history
0: awesome okay last lightning round question if you could have dinner with any celebrity or author or public figure who would you choose and why
1: I would have to say, Marcus Aurelius, <laughs> the former Roman Emperor. Um, for anyone who's familiar with stoicism. And if you've read the obstacles the way, also you would know. But I mean, he's a hero, and his his writings and his thoughts, they transcend time, and I really relate so much to what he wrote back then. It's just so surreal to read the writings of somebody who was so powerful and to see that they, were thinking about and struggling with the same things that we are today in 2018.
0: Awesome. Cool. Okay, Kristen, so I want people to be able to connect with you in a couple different ways. You are putting out a whole bunch of amazing content. I have just started. uh, I've subscribed to your YouTube channel, and I've just started following your uh, Traveling with Christian videos, which are amazing. So I want you to be able to tell people a little bit about that, what you're doing with the channel, what they can expect, and then how they can follow you there and other places as well.
1: Um, Yes. So the Traveling with Kristen YouTube channel, I just started really in the past six months, and it it has vlogs, travel videos, digital nomad tips, digital nomad destinations. I just posted my first podcast video on there. I'm doing a lot of live streams, and it just has basically everything that I'm learning about or that I'm doing or recommending and uh, helping other people to achieve a location independent lifestyle is, is there on Facebook, um, at traveling with Kristen, Instagram, YouTube, and then to be able to connect with people more directly, I created a group uh, called long-term digital nomad success on Facebook. So I'm really engaging a lot um, with the community since it's, Something that, you know, I've lived and breathed for so many years now. So um, my next focus is just helping more people to live life on their own terms, whatever that means for them, and to flatten the learning curve to get started in the lifestyle. So there's a lot of um, resources and, and courses and things that I'm developing right now that I'm really excited to uh, to release out there into the world.
0: Awesome. Well, you are putting out incredible and really important content. I'm a member of the long term digital nomad success group in Facebook, and I've been very impressed with the extent to which you have not just posted cool stuff, but engaged with people. People need help or advice on where they are in their journey, and you'll just type a comment to them and make a suggestion, and they'll appreciate it and it'll add value to them. And you're definitely super engaged. I-, I really appreciate being a member of the group and would definitely encourage anybody else that's interested. To join that as well. So what we'll do is we'll put the links to your YouTube channel and some of your other social media in the show notes. So people can just go there to the show notes page and uh, can just uh, grab all of that stuff. So we'll aggregate it for you, make it super easy to connect with Christian, but definitely someone that you want to be following. If you're at all interested in the world travel, digital nomad lifestyle, or just entrepreneurship and Business building in general. So, Kristen, thank you so much for being here. It was awesome
1: talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. And if there's any other uh, fellow nerds out there listening, I'm going to be taking a deep dive. Actually, just launched my page on Medium, which I'll give you the link for that as well. So, if you want to get really deep into these digital nomad topics and connect them, like philosophically and academically, I'm gonna be getting really into these uh, topics in writing for people who are more into reading versus the videos. And the social media stuff. So I'll make sure to, I just thought of that. I'll make sure to give you that too. I just launched it yesterday.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. I'm super excited to check that out. And uh, yeah, just send over the link to that. We'll put that in the show notes as well. So people can have access to that, but that sounds amazing. I look forward to checking it out and uh, thank you again for being here, Kristen.
1: Thanks so much, Matt. And I hope to see you soon for a glass of wine.
0: Let's do that very soon. Have a great one. (laughs) Bye-bye.
1: Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance
0: an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad.
1: The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad.
0: Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he
1: likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can
0: watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing.